Hello, my name is Reverend Jodie Stoll. In the March 2020 lockdown due to COVID-19, I was in one of the few million households who were required to shield because I live with someone who is clinically extremely vulnerable. It's almost a year since that happened. Can you believe it? In that time, we've been under various regulations and we are now in the third lockdown. And for me, back to shielding. The way that I see the world and make sense of my faith in it is now fundamentally impacted by this whole experience. And so this is my podcast, Shielded. You're very welcome here. So welcome back to this podcast. Series three will be six weeks where there is a new podcast every Friday. And during this series, I'm going to be in conversation with my guests about faith in a time of COVID, what faith has looked like for them over this last year and why on earth they stick with it, stick with God, Jesus and the whole shebang when life is crap. My first guest is Ruth Harley who I will let introduce for herself. Okay, so we're recording. So, um, hi Ruth, um, it's really nice to have you here. Welcome to the podcast today. Um, how, how's it going for you today? I know it's, it's all a bit strange for all of us at the moment, but what's today like for you? Yeah, no, it is a bit strange, isn't it? Um, I think so, today I am plowing on with various things that I probably should have done sooner but um <laughs> yeah <laughs> um it, it is all feeling a bit relentless but not in a completely unmanageable way at the moment so well maybe. there's something in that isn't there <laughs> I think relentless that's a that's a brilliant word for for describing how it how it's all feeling it's definitely feeling a bit like that uh, to me in general um I'm just back um from having had a break uh, over christmas and you know i'm suddenly kind of looking at my diary and thinking oh gosh okay so there's lots of stuff to do and that feels a bit relentless but it's also the the, the stuff of life um and particularly around covid feels quite relentless um so ruth um i think it's it's right to say that we have met um, one time in in person, um, <laughs> face to face at a at a friend's um, gathering um, for something she was doing, um, but that actually we pretty much know each other through Twitter. Yeah, um, that's right. And and um, and I, I guess I just want to say that it reminds me um, that Twitter and all these kind of social media platforms are really important. And I've met a number of people there first who then I've connected with um, in person. Um, and it's real, you know, those, those yeah, connections yeah. that we have in these places are real. Um, and, you know, just thinking about that, especially now, a time when those um, in-person connections are curtailed specifically I'm really aware how significant um, those platforms can be so whether it's Twitter or podcasts or you know whatever social media people use um, yeah I'm just really aware how even more significant those those places are at the moment so it's nice to see your face again even though we're not in in the same room together just in case people were worried <laughs> we're not flouting any regulations um, certainly not so um yeah, it's good. It's good to see you. Um, and yeah, so maybe can you introduce yourself to us uh, a little bit? Tell us who you are. 
Sure. Yeah. So I am an ordinand at the moment. I am training at the Queen's Foundation in Birmingham to be an Anglican priest. Um, and before that, my background is in youth ministry and children's ministry. Um, and before that, in the charity sector. Um, and I've just finished writing a book. Well, it's, yes. it's recently been published. Um, yes, so I am, <laughs> I am the co-author with Al Barrett of Being Interrupted, Reimagining the Church's Mission from the Outside In, um, which came out at the end of November with SCM Press. Yeah, um, so that's amazing. been quite an exciting lockdown project. It wasn't really a lockdown project. We were writing it <laughs> way before then, but that certainly put a different spin yeah, on finishing yeah. it off on those circumstances. Absolutely. <laughs> and obviously I'll be chatting with Al in a few weeks. He's also gonna kind of join join me on the podcast. And um but I'm I was just wondering, you know, what what did the two of you what was that conversation like when when you'd been writing this book about being interrupted and then this massive interruption? of COVID happened did what was that conversation like when that happened yeah so our our publisher's deadline was the end of March and by the beginning wow. of March it had really become apparent to us both that there was no way on earth this was going to work out um <laughs> so um we had to send an email saying um you know this being interrupted thing <laughs> we've been interrupted <laughs> and then we then we had a choice to make actually we had a conversation um sort of around that time saying well we can't possibly write a book called being interrupted without <laughs> acknowledging this kind of great interruption um so what are we going to do with it and we we can we briefly considered going back and trying to weave it through what we'd already written yeah but really that would have been a different book from the one we'd already nearly finished writing yes, we yeah. didn't do that um so what we did do was we added an epilogue to the book so it, for the majority of the book there's no mention of covid because we wrote it pre-covid yeah and then we, we've got an epilogue at the end where we try and draw some of the things we've already been talking about in the book about interruption mm. and being yeah. interrupted into the context of covid um, yeah. and in a very covid sort of a way um, we recorded that um that epilogue it's a conversation and we recorded it over zoom oh brilliant <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah but actually there were so many resonances and what we've been hearing as well from people who are reading the book is that a lot of stuff that we've written not specifically for this context is resonating yes. with people in this context absolutely because it's a big theme isn't it so it should be relevant to whichever context because we all get interrupted all the time and there are small interruptions and big interruptions and fundamental ones and world shaking ones and and interruptions to our daily you know patterns and things like that so you would expect a big theme like that to be able to um you know be be seen you know within even something so fundamental like this which has happened to us yeah brilliant um okay so as we said covid massive interruption into our lives and our faiths over the last year uh we're almost i don't know if you can believe this but you know we're almost a year into this way of life um over different regulations and different lockdowns um so i was interested to know if you can remember when you realised it was going to be a thing which 
uh, interrupted. Obviously, you had that conversation with Al, but you know, before that, when was that moment? February half term, um, one of the other Autonans who I'm training with, one of my friends, had been to Northern Italy for her holiday with her, wow. boyfriend, with her husband. Okay. And, um, <laughs> they came back, and she was here on the Monday here at Queen's, and. And then there was the thing about if you've been to Northern Italy, you should you should self-isolate. And um, yeah. our, our very wonderful welfare officer here immediately sent her home to self-isolate. And um, yeah. I remember having a, a conversation with with our welfare officer here, who at the time, who is a former intensive care nurse um, and now a Methodist deacon. And I remember her saying, "This, I think this is going to be this is going to be serious this is going to be big this is going to be and I remember her saying jokingly to my friend well you've got to go home because if you stay here you could wipe out the whole Methodist church and and she was joking but also there was that little mm. bit of an edge to it of joking but not joking um and I thought oh okay mm. if you're taking this seriously then I'm taking this seriously um and then that friend was um, having to sort of join classes by video. We got on, our, on my laptop and it all seemed terribly novel and exciting. <laughs> and oh, look, she's on the screen. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's how things have uh, <laughs> how things changed. And yes, those things which are novel yeah. now are just part of normal life. Yeah, I think that's so that's when I sort of first went, oh, this is going to be a thing. Um, and then there was still a few weeks before it really hit as a, oh, yeah, no, now this is a thing. Um, yeah. I can remember putting together visual intercessions with our junior church for um, the first Sunday of Lent. And some of them knowing why we were including pictures of people in PPE and in hospital beds and some of them saying, oh, what's that about? Um, yeah and I think you know by even a week after that none of them would have been saying what's that about yeah gosh I, I mean it's 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 quite yeah so it takes your breath away a little bit <laughs> yeah. um to yeah to realize these things that have come become commonplace for us and we recognize them they're part of our language and our um our our vocabulary, our images that we carry in our heads uh, and things like that, just that we could not have imagined just just going on a year ago. It was very quick, very quick to go from, like yeah. say, vague, vague ideas. So obviously, um, faith has been hugely impacted um, and the expressions of that has changed. Um, so I was you know interested to know how it's changed for you what that looks like for you now how's it how's it sort of evolved over the last year and I was wondering how much you have felt in charge of that or how much it has felt orchestrated for you by the interruption you know by the circumstances and you know I've, I guess I've been thinking for me it's been really shaped by external forces and I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah, no, it definitely has been really difficult. Um, so to give a little bit of context that I think might be helpful, um, the, the church that I'm part of, we have 
remained closed almost all the time. So we've met three times physically since March. Um, and that has been, that's been, the decisions around that have been difficult, but I think we've made good decisions. We very early on established some principles by which to make decisions about um, those decisions being inclusive and being safe and being all the things that we want to be as a church. So being participatory mm. and being something that felt like us. Um, and yeah. we've had some difficult decisions to make as everybody has. Um, and having some principles by which we're making them has really, really helped, I think. Um, and has helped us feel a bit less adrift. Um, but that's the context that I've been in. So we, but we also have not been doing the online thing. So I know it's become really default, you know, oh, are you doing Zoom or are you live streaming or are you doing a pre-record? As if those are the only options. Um, and for us, that wouldn't work. So the vast majority of our congregation and our local community are not able to participate in digital life in the way that you or I might do, yeah. often because of digital poverty or also other issues. Um, so we, and one of our principles is that the things that are core to us being church need to be fit, done in ways that are accessible to everybody. So if we were making our primary way of doing church being, say, on Zoom, and yeah. then over half of our congregation can't participate in that, that doesn't really feel like being church to me. Yeah. Um, so... So we've been doing other things. We've done um, lots of paper-based things, so liturgies that people can use at home and reflections. And we've also got a dial-our sermon phone line, which is a local landline number that people yeah. can ring and hear reflections. Um, and we've tried to do things that people can do at home rather than just read as well. Um, and we've done some stuff locally that people can do on their daily walk. So we oh. did during Easter tide, we had a sort of pilgrimage route around the estate with um, stations of the resurrection stuck to bus shelters and lamp posts. Oh, wow. Oh, that's brilliant. I'm, I'm, I'm tucking these things in the back of my own. <laughs> um, and, and we've discovered the joy of outdoors. We've discovered the joy of muddy church, which even in the corners of our little estate um, under the M6 is just delightful and joyful <laughs> and, and wonderful. And that has been, for me, really, really life-giving. But it has, I, overall, I would say, yeah, it's been, I found it really hard. Um, I am very much formed by a Catholic sacramental tradition. So for me, only having received communion three times since March is a really big deal. Yeah. Um, and I would say that that lack particularly, so I didn't receive communion at all between the middle of March and the end of October was yeah. when we met for the first time. And that felt, that was a really painful absence. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah, but in a, in a way that's kind of akin to the way that missing seeing the people we love is a painful absence, which yeah. of course is also something we're experiencing at the moment. Um, yeah. But it was, it was deeply, deeply painful. And, but we talked about that quite a lot as a as a leadership team in our church and as a church as a whole about why that was the decision that we'd made once it had become a decision um, mm -hmm. 
and and there's something there about about solidarity there was no way that for a lot of our folks it would have been possible for them to receive communion at that stage yeah and so that was quite important for us that it it isn't about me receiving it's about us sharing um, yeah that was quite important and we also thought a lot about so this is something Al and I talked about loads while we were finishing off the book mm. um was this idea of liturgy our liturgical practice as a church reflecting something that's true and that absence of communion felt to me like such a disruptive disjointed painful difficult absence but that's the kind of times we're living in you know that's a reflection of the reality of how we're living and i think particularly at the start some people were understandably very keen to say we need to carry on with church as much like normal as we can because people need that anchor and that rooting and that and yeah. i get that i really get that but when i tried that didn't work for me when i tried to engage with sort of other people's spiritual communion and online mass and whatever I just it just felt it didn't feel real to me mm. um, and I know it does to a lot of people and that's been enormously helpful and important to a lot of people and I don't want to play that down at all yeah but I also think we need to be able to talk about the times when that isn't how it is and online isn't the answer and and actually maybe the answer is acknowledging the enormous disjointedness that we're living with and saying yeah this hurts yeah. and we're expressing that hurt in the way that we are or aren't doing our liturgy um, yeah yeah that's interesting so the the way that we aren't as well as the way that we are yeah speaks us loudly mm. I, I think it does um and that's that's been really hard um but there have been there have been glimmers of good stuff um, in the, the sort of late autumn and into winter. Our our muddy church gatherings, where we've been in small groups, there's been household groups, um, engaging with God in the outdoors, but seeing each other at a distance as we pass. Yeah. That that's been really great. Um, and the other thing that's really sustained me personally is right back at the start of the first lockdown. Um, I got back in touch with a, a group of women who I used to, uh, where I lived before, we used to meet up um, once every couple of months um, to do some form of feminist liturgy and have breakfast together. <laughs> and at the start of lockdown, we, we went, well, we could do this on Zoom, right? We'll, we'll, we'll try it. And we've done it every week since. Brilliant. And that, so there's, there's five of us and we, we, we do something liturgical-ish. It might just it might be some silence some weeks, but we do something yeah. um, and then we, we, we talk and we drink coffee and we, we, we read some stuff together and talked about some stuff. And that has for me been hugely life giving. And one of the things that I've loved about that has been that one of the women involved in that does a lot of body prayer and um, she's involved with the contemplative fire movement. And that's one of their things. Um, and doing something embodied together has become hugely important to me. I think that's one of the things I am most missing and have found most hard in this last year. Mm. Is realising for me how deeply faith is something embodied. Yeah. And you just can't do that in the same way. 
mm. when you're not physically present to each other. So what does a, a body prayer look like? Um, I won't demonstrate because that won't come across <laughs> well on a podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it's about moving your body in prayer. So we, we often use the Lord's Prayer as our, our basis so it's slow movements it's not like action songs um, <laughs> it's slow movements with particular sort of meaning attached to okay. them um if people want to find out more about it um contemplative fire their website has some really great videos and also diagrams of how to how to do the lord's prayer um as a body prayer. Um, but there's yeah there's something about even though obviously we're still not physically present to each other sort of being embodied together and acknowledging that has been I found that really helpful and I think really helpful to be doing that in a completely different way from how I would have done it pre-pandemic you know yeah. that that wasn't part of my practice before um and I think I think that for me has been one of the things that I've had to realize is that replacing like for slightly less satisfactory like is not doing it for me spiritually yeah. I'm needing to find things that provide something analogous to what I was was previously important to me but in a different way that works in this circumstance and that's really helped me to think through well what are the real fundamentals for me yeah um, so that's been that's been good yeah yeah. But, yeah, but hard, hard. Hard. Well, yeah, and so you were saying it is hard and there's pain um, in this for, for a lot of us. A lot, there's been a lot of uh, crap involved um, <laughs> in, in this last year for a lot of people, for a lot of different reasons, in a lot of different ways. Life has just not been good or felt good. Uh, and I think that's been the case for everyone in, in different ways. Um, you know, there have been times, I think, when I think, you know, following Jesus, you know, makes no sense at the moment, um, or that somehow that doesn't touch the reality of life. And I always, you know, I guess I always think of myself as someone who wants to, you know, encourage people to follow God in the whole of life, you know, um, and you know I often talk about being attentive to God's presence you know in the ordinary stuff and even in the rubbish moments you know um rather than why God you know where is God you know in in these places that's very much been part of my own kind of um articulation of faith but I admit to finding that quite hard um to hold on to uh through some of this year Although in some ways it's been a helpful narrative to remind myself that that's, <laughs> that's you know, um, that's my story, part of my story. But how have, how have you done it, Ruth? You know, why have you chosen to keep going with this crazy life of faith, you know, following Jesus in, in the crap when it doesn't always totally make sense to us at our core level? Do you know what I mean? We kind yeah. of, we keep going, but why? yeah. Um, I think for me, it's, if this doesn't sound too trite, um, it's about the sort of hope that I find in Jesus. Um, I mean, you know, we can all say as much as we like about oh, hope's something we really need, hope's been in short supply, but 
but then I think the question is, so what kind of hope do we actually find in Jesus and in living this life of faith? And for me, it's really important that that's not a hope that says, oh, everything's going to be OK. Um, because demonstrably, it's not. <laughs> um, you know, and I think one of the things that I've realised is that that may be something that's been revealed to me through this pandemic. But it's been blindingly obvious to a lot of people for a lot longer than that. Lots mm. of people live lives that are crap all the time. Yeah. You know, that is reality. And if the good news that we're trying to share doesn't speak to that reality, then I'm not sure it's good news no. um, for anyone, actually. Um, so that's kind of been my starting point. And the hope that I find in Jesus is the hope that God is making all things new, not that God will, not that I need to do something first and then God will, mm. but that God is making all things new and God is drawing all things to God's self and not in ways that I understand. And that's okay. Mm. I don't think, you know, I don't need to understand how that works. Sometimes I'd like to, of course, <laughs> um, but that's a different question. Um, I think the hope that says to me that that nothing is outside of that all the crap nothing is outside of that i i think when i look at at jesus at jesus's death and resurrection but also at jesus's life and teaching mm. what i see is that message that there is absolutely nothing and nobody that is outside the scope of god's overwhelming love and grace mm. And that includes all the crap, and it includes lives that are unremittingly crap, you know, and it includes me, and it includes you, and it includes all the people we kind of wish it didn't, um, <laughs> and that for me is what it, that's, that's what it's about, and and sometimes we can catch glimpses of how that is. Sometimes we catch glimpses of that, that kingdom stuff, um, that shalom kind of peace. That, mm. And sometimes we don't catch those glimpses, but it doesn't really matter whether we do or whether we don't. It's still happening. It's yeah. still there. The reality of how God loves us and the hope that we have in God doesn't change our perception of it changes um and and our perception of it may have changed quite a lot in this last year mm. but the reality doesn't change and one of the things I think that I have thought about quite a lot with this and that Al and I have written about in the book is that this pandemic has been a kind of if I use the word apocalypse, it's in the sense that it's been its proper sense of meaning something that reveals something. Yeah. And it's revealed some stuff and it's revealed some really crap stuff, but the crap stuff was always there. What's new is the revelation. Mm. And actually, maybe, maybe that revelation I don't want to say, oh, this is all part of God's plan, because I really don't think that's how God works. Mm. But I, but there may be something 
in the revelation that we have received in this year that we can use in ways that help us to be more receptive to God's kingdom among us already. Um, and I think that gives me hope. Um, and that might be as close as I can get, really, to answering that question. Uh, well, that, I think that that uh, is, is very much close, close enough. That, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me and for um, sharing your thoughts and wisdom as we all try to keep following God in, in the crap. <laughs> so we're going to end with a psalm of lament. Psalm 13, uh, which is the perfect psalm for reminding us that it's okay to ask God the hard questions and to say to God uh, that life isn't quite how we would want it to be. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul? and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Let others know about it and listen on Fridays for new episodes, which you can get from Anchor or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, among other platforms. Go well into your day and may you come again soon to these doors.